Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 209. And I've been off for just a little bit um, because life is crazy. <laughs> and <clears throat> the, the season's coming on, and, and I'm running and judging, running in, in terms of administratively, running the Triple Crown with a whole lot of help, and, and also judging it and getting my dogs ready for the things that they're going to be doing. And then my ex comes back with his new love, and they're living here also. So um, it's a really interesting time in life. It's kind of a challenge to, you know, just kind of stay on task with everything. So I missed a podcast, and for that, I'm sorry. Um, but we're going to get back on it. Been doing a lot, a lot of Upland stuff um, for a number of reasons. One, that's why a lot of people send me their dogs, because I got a lot of dogs that will be running tests this fall. I don't personally have any that are, not personally, I'm not training any right now that are going to be running the Triple Crown. That would be kind of weird to soul, but I'm, I'm helping a lot of people that are getting ready to, I hope, do that. So I'm really, and I'm getting a lot of dogs in because they want them done by hunting season, which we're getting a little close now. So a lot of emphasis on Upland, and I get in a lot of uh, interesting conversations uh, and ideas about uh, Upland stuff. I had one uh, recently where the guy, he was gonna, he was taking the dog home and he was telling me how they hunt their dogs and, and, and have for years and they're very happy with it. They don't have other people, they said kind of a family thing and they're all, they shoot together and they have for years. But the dog goes and points or produces a bird, whatever, that didn't seem to be too important, but the bird comes up and then the dog's after the bird. But they wait and they don't shoot until the bird comes up um, or as far enough away from the far enough away from the dog, and I'm just sitting here with my jaw hanging down. <laughs> so for everyone that does that, my jaw just hangs down. It's like we don't shoot until the bird gets a little bit away from the uh, the dog. And my only comment to them was, um, better don't invite people. You know, you better not let any new people in that because a lot of people shoot the bird when it comes up without really a lot of regard for where the dog is and I know some people are very conscientious of that and then I know and I know many of you know stories where good things did not happen when people were not aware of where the dog was is when they were aiming at a bird so I'm gonna also bring the factor of safety in <clears throat> not one of the more popular topics oftentimes you know because what we do what we do and it works just fine but, you know, for every one of those people, I bet I have at least four or five stories of where people that did that, something happened unexpected, and their dog training and their personal behavior was not uh, ready for the situation. And sometimes some very uh, not good, very sad things can happen. And sometimes when you start introducing the young ones to the hunting, you know, and they get their first little 410 or whatever they have, and they're, they're going to go out and shoot and stuff, and, you know, Young people cannot think of three things at one time at fat, high speed in an exciting time. It's just, I'm sure there is out there some that do. But in general, no, they don't. You know, they might be able to take a good aim, but they don't know that where everyone else is or whatever. So there's, when you start, when you are introducing kids, the people that are, you know, to the, to the world of hunting, you know, that's a, that is a dicey situation for some years until they have enough experience um, that they can 
they can manage the situation. So when you have things like that, you know, and it's always good when, when we get our young people to understand, both my kids have been hunting, they know where food comes from, they know what it's like when it's alive, and then all the things that have to go through before you have it on your plate, you know, and so they can truly appreciate the full uh, range of life and how this works. And it's always good um, for all you meat eaters and stuff that, that people understand that. But when you go out with stuff like that, and when both my kids learned to hunt and shoot and stuff, we had dogs um, that weren't going to be chasing the bird, weren't going to be running out their way out of gun range, weren't going to be out of control. I mean, just frankly, never did. They, my daughter was highly obnoxious because she went hunting with somebody else once in South Dakota. And she, oh my goodness, she insulted the dog so much. It's like, don't do that. Because not a, you grew up in a professional training facility. I mean, so you know what, what the full finished thing is. And, you know, most people do not have that. The vast majority, they have, they have it to some degree, some quite a bit, some not at all. So she, was, she just didn't even know that dogs did what these dogs were doing. But it was really unsafe. And she was real uncomfortable and never, never went out with them again. So, um, it's really nice when you have young people and they're learning about this, that when they are imperfect and when they take a shot, maybe they shouldn't and, and, or don't see something out of the side of their corner of their eye, that your dog isn't going to be, suffer the consequences from that. So that's why, forgive me, but I'm going to really bring up safety. When I talk about training of dogs with an approach uh, to safety, I, I have no idea why anyone would not do that. I have no idea why anyone would not de-chase a dog. And de-chase, again, for the umpteenth time, does not mean that they can be stopped from a chase. It means that they do not initiate a chase. It means that you don't have to worry about stopping them, which is yet another thing that you would have to do in this whole scenario of bird up, guns up, things happening. When you have got it in addition to all that, also make sure that your dog, you remind them or tell them or force them to remain in place. A de-chase dog is one that does not initiate the chase. And so you don't have to have your whistle or your transmitter right there with you. Um, in the beginning you do when you get, before it becomes a solid thing. But so there's a lot of safety things that aren't really that hard to do done correctly. Let me emphasize that. That I don't understand why people would not. Um, would not do that. And I'll say what several of those things are. Um, one is chasing birds. And another one is being out of a range that's comfortable for you. I'm not going to define a range. You know, I have a range I like. We all have ranges that, that we're comfortable and we want the dog in. You know, some are very tight. Some are further out. But for a dog to stay in a range that is useful and effective, does not produce birds beyond where you can shoot them, um, when they're a little bit too far out, there can be some issues. And we had a deal this week. We were over at one of my training places uh, looking for, we were going to actually set up and do some water stuff. And we're walking along the road trying to see how we want to do this. And, and, of course, and it was kind of a lot of cover and stuff. And uh, there was a good old rattlesnake right there. My little, my little wiener dog walked by it. I walked by it, it, it. And then it coiled up and made itself known. So... You know, the snakes are out, and that is a reason for those of us that have snakes often where we are, and that is into, you know, before it really gets kind of wintry, they're, they're still out there. 
if your dog is way out there and encounters a snake and gets bitten, you might not know it. Um, they might screech or something, and you might think they just stepped on a something or whatever, but the snakes are out there too. It's another reason, you know, to have your dog within range of you that you can be aware if something happened. You know, if they squeak and jump way high in the air or something, you know, man, I'd go check that situation out right there. They, you don't want them to get bitten by a rattlesnake and then run around and pass that blood through their system so it's all through them. I almost died from that. Um, if I hadn't been in a hospital, I would have. It is such a serious, can be such a serious thing. So snakes is another reason to make sure your dog isn't just willy-nilly out there. And also uh, another reason to have a dog that's not one of those kind of wild and crazy out of control things um, is, is if you're hunting somewhere where there's a little bit of a buried uh, fence post or a, fall, a, a, a stump that's behind the cover, because, you know, the cover's getting, every, everything's grown, and now you get start to get that. There can be things where dogs, and I could tell some very horrible stories, which I will never tell, but, you know, where dogs have impaled themselves running through stuff where there's just the right angle of a broken off branch on a fallen down tree where they literally impale themselves in, in the gut. Um, and so if you're, if you're a little more tuned in with your dog and a little bit more connected, I mean, that can always happen, but it's also nice if you're aware of what the what it looks like where they are, or they're aware of thinking a little bit about where you are at the same time they are delightfully hunting out there. So there's a lot of reasons that you want. Um, I didn't say necessarily super close, although the, I, the you know I like it where I can see them and always know what's happening, which sometimes that's hard hunting corn and stuff. But um, then even then you can keep them where you can hear them. <laughs> and that's kind of helpful too or you can get the gps thing now you know on the on your on the dog's collar and on your watch where you see exactly where they are and that can also you know be helpful especially if you're uh, hunting in the tulies you know and you can't see and your dog goes on point you got a pointer and he goes on point and you know you don't know is he is he gone <laughs> is he stuck is he pointing it's so those things are often very helpful for that too. That's a safety thing. But all of that is talking about dog connection and the two of you working as a team. And that's pretty important stuff. <laughs> so that that's kind of what I'm talking about in all of this. Um, so whether you have a pointer or a flusher, and a lot of times, you know, people not sure if there's a different approach with those two things. Or, you know, if there's a different, do you train them very differently? And I'll tell you, uh, frankly, for me, I don't. I don't, I mean, obviously there's a few places. I don't wool break my, my flushing dogs. They are, I do like to have them be steady to a whistle, you know, if they're not wool broken. That's nice on the, on the flushing guys. But um, other than that, you go at it the same way. And you go at it, and I'm going to, this is important. When you do this upland stuff, which, as I've said many times, is very uh, independent thinking. Other than their connection with you and your location and your direction and that kind of thing, that little cord between the two of you needs to remain. Outside of that, it is up for them to you to gather the data, to use the wind, to use the different heights, of, to scent different things, and to, to do the other ways they data collect. There's more than just what we think about. 
but they're out there using all of their wits and skills that you've allowed them to develop to find those birds. That's independent thinking still with that connection between the two of you. So if you do a whole lot of independent thinking in your training, then that's what's going to kind of uh, be fostered and that's what's going to develop and it's going to maybe shove out, right, some a little bit of the other dependent kind of thinking uh, that goes on in your other training on marks and blinds and handling and all that and even woe stuff. That's very dependent thinking. And there they are doing exactly what you tell them. They're going to the location that you you both saw on a mark or on a blind. They're going the direction you pointed them and they're stopping when you stop them. And then they're making their best effort to take the cast that you gave them. So in your training, when you want, and because you want, you know, this stellar, stellar upland dog, that means you got to do some of that, a, a fair amount of that dependent work so that you don't have just your independent upland work totally trumping everything else. And that may not make sense to people, but training all these dogs over these years, I have found my biggest, one of my biggest helpers for getting a dog finished off in the upland field, particularly all of them, but particularly pointing guys, to get them finished off, which means steady gun range on their own without me ever having to say anything and no chasing and you know delivering straight to hand that's what i'm talking about finished one of the things that helps that most of all and that includes pointing the pointing part of it gets better believe it or not when i work really hard on that handling stuff when i get dogs that can handle and i don't mean i can just kind of rough them out to 50 yards and have them hunted up i'm talking about a competitive bunch of handling they go straight they stop on a dime they make their best effort to take the cast that i gave them they stop again on a dime and i can get them out to where i need them in a fairly short and efficient period of time that's what i'm talking about handling whether it's a blind retrieve or i'm handling on a mark but obviously the dog couldn't find it uh, when you can get that really refined and really crisp and really well understood and so that's kind of musical too there's no argument. You're not bellowing back and over and there's all this kind of uh, counterproductive noise and energy, but you just get them out there real efficiently without a lot of noise, just a little bit of very silent communication other than the whistle between the two of you. When you get that kind of music going, it carries over to the upland field. The tune carries over there too. And when you don't have that tool of all of that dependent work and the handling and stuff, then a lot of times you don't have as much control and tools that you would need for the steady and the control and the safety stuff in the upland field. So one of my secret recipes for finishing off good dogs in the upland field is getting them to be really good handling dogs, steady on marks and handling. And somehow that kind of thinking in their head and that kind of communication between us transfers directly over to the to the to the upland field, and so now getting them steady on point or steady to the flush if they're flushing them is not a big job, because it's not a big stretch for them to revert back to that dependent thinking. Like, man, bird's coming up, I got to just stay here. I, really? I mean, I see it. I see the bird. I still have to stay here. It's flying. I still have to stay here. I'm looking at it buried in the cover there I still have to stay here yes because you've developed that part of their thinking that dependent part over 
on the other stuff, on the handling where it's clearly understood and can be practiced a lot. That's the best way to get it without having to practice and correct and get after them over in the upland field. Man, that's like one of my biggest super secrets. So don't tell anyone that I told you that. But that's one of the best ways. So the balance between independent thinking and the heroin fields of the upland field, balance that with the dependent thinking of the go where I point you, go straight to as straight as you can to something and come back. And for non-competitive guys, I'll just, since I touched on that one right there, for non-competitive people, the, the straight line thing. You know, I know some people, it's not a big deal to them. And to other people, they're going, you know, it's almost like that's a bad thing. So we, I train all my dogs, even whether they're competitive, obviously when they're competitive and when they're not, that when I send you out on something, I want you to go as directly at it as you possibly can. You don't have to be perfect necessarily, but based on your talent, you can get close, but you have to go toward it. I'm not going to let you run all the way around the pond to the other side, jump four feet in and get the duck out of the water, and then four feet out and come running all the way back around. One, in competition, you're out if you do that. But the reason that I do that with my hunting dogs in training, because I know in hunting, if it's icy water or it's cold and they've got their neoprene vest on and you don't want them in doing a 75-yard swim across an icy breakthrough ice pond, obviously you do not, right? Then we will either relocate and get them around or let them run around or do, again, safety, safety trumps everything. Never endanger a dog just because you'll go straight in water that they shouldn't be in at all. But when you, um, when you have that sort of mentality in their head where what you're doing is creating a real, uh, basically a work ethic. You know, see the bird, get the bird. Don't see the bird and go, how can I get to that the easiest, fastest way? You don't have that going. You have it, see the bird, get the bird. Then you can get birds that would maybe dive and, and stay under the water, you know, the, the ducks can do that, or a, do, a, a bird that's that's um, going to start moving away, it's injured, but it's going to try and get away. When you have a dog that has, its first thought is diligence to go get that, they aren't going to go, okay, let me go see how I can get way over there best. They're going to go as directly at that as they can, and they're going to have that attitude toward the bird, toward the retrieve. It's It's just a good one. You can always, you know, you always, even with the competitive dogs hunting, you know, you got to do the safe thing and, and, but then move. And so they're not really just running around the whole pond or something, but move so that it's safe for them. But the approach of give me your best effort to go at it and then give me your best effort to come back the same way. And why is that? Why do we want them to, okay, in competition, actually, you're not even judged on the return in competition, not even in a field trial, not at Master National. They don't judge you on your dog's return, but your dog is always telling you something when they're going out and when they're coming back. So when they go out on a retrieve, I don't care if it's in the tulies, in the cut corn, um, I, I don't cross that uh, windy lake. I don't care when the dog is going, when they've seen something go down, and they're going toward it, but they're actually looking for an easier way, uh, or they're just uh, they're letting the wind just blow them. They're not giving it much effort. They're telling you, you know, on my uh, intensity meter, I'm giving you a five out of ten. You know, I'll get over there. They're telling you that, and then when you let them come back, again, any old way they want, 
well, I'll just come back around on land because so now they're going, I'm not going to make any effort to come back to you. I'll just get there when I get there. All right. And I'm coming this way. When you begin to allow them to not give you their best effort, that makes it okay to not give you their best effort. So then the next time you're doing something and it's a, the duck is, can't fly, but it's swimming away and they're not going to go, oh, don't worry, I'll get it and go straight out after it and out swim it eventually. Um, they'll do that if diligence is the thing that you have taught and the thing that, the, how they learn how to do that. Then you're going to lose those birds because they're going, oh, God, look, he's so fast and I, I can't get over there. Maybe if I get over on the side here and run around, I can, and you have all this stuff, you lose stuff. It's not the same. So even if you're not competing, to create that, that, that ethics about doing a retrieve and when it's safe, out and back the same way, we never relax. I always want you to give me best effort out, best effort back. There's no downside to that in just hunting. You can always adjust for safety or time or it's getting dark. You can always adjust for that. But what you want in that dog's heart and mind is, is the, um, the ethics to go do that. The ethics to give, them, give you their very best at all that. Um, and, and why not? So in your training, coming into hunting season or coming into the competitive season, I, I don't care what it is, in that... Keep a good balance between the independent and the dependent thinking. Because if we're talking about upland, and the more upland you want to do or plan on doing, then the more dependent, handling, rules, steadiness, woe-breaking, all of that, the more of that that you want to do to help out how well that same kind of, I'm going to follow the rules over here in the upland field. Biggest help that you've got. And again, then now aren't now we're not doing corrections and all that stuff in the upland field, which makes it not a good place. It's much better to have it be the good place and you do all your teaching somewhere else. It works really well. So keep a balance. The other thing is truly consider safety. And like I was trying to tell this gentleman that told me how they hunt, <laughs> and it, you know, the dog, once the dog finds a bird, they're free to do whatever they want. And so I suggested, um, you know, if your dog doesn't chase birds, it, there's no downside to that for you. <laughs> he said, well, of course, we can always call them off. All we have to do is say no bird. Now, I'm questioning that. Big old pheasant quackling and doing that. They can just go no bird and the dog just turns around. That'd be good. You know, I'm sure there's some that do, but mostly they're going to find out. Because I got to get this guy. I just can't let him go. So having a dog that doesn't chase a bird, hand flies up, you can't do anything, doesn't chase it. So you don't even have to sit there and disturb other birds by reeling this dog back in. Um, that's really good. And it's also really good because there's not a dog out in the field while there's gunfire out in the field. Um, that's just, there's no downsides to that either. It's just a really nice thing to do. And so figure out how to get those kind of things. Figure out how to teach the dog to do it on their own so you're not having to also whistle, use your transformer, uh, transmitter, shoot, or direct your son or your nephew or your nephew, uh, daughter or whatever to do this stuff. It, it's very, very helpful. Most of all, keep a good balance between the two kinds of training. And most, most a lot of people like up, they like training upland and that other stuff is hard. It's like, it's like, I, can you want to play rugby or go to math class? <laughs> Everybody's like, I'll go rugby. <laughs> do both. 
do both because this is going to really, really help you. And above all, I just ask everybody, I don't care how good a shot your group is or you are or any of that. I, I just, but why not have an insurance policy of a dog that isn't going to be out in the middle of something when you wish they hadn't been in the middle of it? And they can also learn to stay in the range that you like on their own without you seeing them. And if you're going to hunt where you can't see them, you know, invest in the GPS so you still see them and you know where they are and, and you know what's happening. And so whether you compete and you're getting ready to run the Triple Crown, this counts. And whether you're just gearing up for the, the big trip to South Dakota you got coming in some months ahead, at least it's a good thing to think about. And again, safety, safety. You know, let, let's just save one dog this year because somebody bothered to take care of this stuff. And uh, it'd be totally worth it. So wish everybody the best. Hope to meet and see a lot of you at the Triple Crown. It's going to be, I was up there, went over all the grounds, uh, all the places where uh, we're going to have dinner for people and check in. And it's just going to, and Pikes Peak sitting there looking down at you. It's going to be uh, a very, very beautiful thing. I'm just looking forward to being up there and walking around 10 million birds in the field uh, for a few days. So I hope a lot of you are there getting ready. If not this year, for next year. We'll announce next year's place there at the Triple Crown as well. And for all of you getting ready to hunt, get them in shape. Please get yourself in shape. Get the safety things. Keep a good balance and go out and have an absolutely fantastic hunting season. So I will uh, try to get back next week and kind of get things settled down here a little bit and get back on these and helping people. And meanwhile, I wish everybody the best. And I will be back next time.